We're going to be in Matthew 5 today, just a few verses, verses 13 through 16. And so on the heels of an example of how God leads us to make an impact, we want to ask a few questions as we get into Matthew 5. Questions like, what does it look like for us to take hold of God's calling to make a kingdom impact with our lives? Is it North Africa or bust? Like, is there something for us here to do uh, in the Berg? Uh, Is he calling all of us to be missionaries, so to speak, or just some of us? Some of us feel like uh, the journey with the Lord is like an athletic contest and there's all the athletes that are in the game and we some of us feel like we're the team trainer where we're over here and we kind of we kind of help and we kind of support but we never actually get in the game so has he called some of us or all of us um, if he has called all of us uh, what does that look like how do we go about it and what is it that we're aiming for uh, to be used by God to make a kingdom impact. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'll read verses 13 through 16. Uh, some well-known verses. Uh, this is where Jesus talks about salt and light. So I want to read those verses, uh, connect them with what uh, Grant walked us through last week with the Beatitudes, and then uh, maybe answer some of those questions. What does it look like for us to make a kingdom impact and how has the Lord positioned us to do that? Uh, from Matthew 5, starting in verse 13, it says this. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so so last week, Uh, Grant walked us through the Beatitudes so clearly, uh, and we saw this description of people who belong to the kingdom of heaven, people who belong to the kingdom of God, and we saw it was not a list of attributes that most of us want. And so this idea of upside-down kingdom, Jesus coming to the lowly, those who recognize their spiritual impoverishment, those with nothing to take pride in, to claim as their own, to boast before God. And Jesus comes to those low in spirit and describes their blessedness as part of the kingdom of God. And he moves then from their blessedness to their usefulness here in verses 13 through 16 where Jesus seeks out those who are low in the world's estimation to save them and make them high in his kingdom. And those are the people that he sends out to be salt and to be light. So let's start with salt. And the first point for this morning is just that following Jesus uh, means that our lives are going to look like his as we think about how we make an impact, how we make a kingdom impact The first point is that following Jesus means that our lives are going to look like his. And so as we think about this idea of salt, we talk about just a couple ways where salt is different today than it was for first century 
persons. One of the ways salt is different is for us, salt is very common. Salt is very cheap. It doesn't have a ton of value. We can go to the store and get some. They're never out of salt. Even during the snowstorm, they still had salt. We have lots of it, and it's very inexpensive. Um, Not only is it common, um, but it's kind of become a luxury item uh, a little bit. If you get online, you can find habanero salt and black truffle oil salt and all of these really fancy salts that probably make food taste really good, but we don't really need salt for a preservative like they did in the first century. Uh, Some of you have been hunting in the last month, and I'm guessing you didn't get your buck, your huge buck. Everyone seemed to get huge bucks, or that's what they said. Um, I didn't see a lot of pictures, just heard stories. Um, But you probably didn't slather all the salt all over it. You probably cut it up and you put it in somewhere cold, because we don't need it as, we don't need salt as a preservative. We have Uh, refrigeration. It's kind of become an extra or a luxury item of sorts. Um, It's common. Uh, For us, it's kind of a luxury item. Uh, And salt back then was was not very refined. Our salt is very refined and even flavored. And so if your salt looks like it's uh, uh, black and white, it's probably because you put the salt in the wrong uh, shaker or because maybe you mixed them because that's what you like to do. And you mix a couple different seasonings together and that's your secret sauce Um, when we think back of jesus day when we think back to the first century think about salt as a preservative think about salt as an antiseptic that fought against germs and bacteria that created decay in their meat and it was a preservative so that they could make it last think about an army uh, going on a great journey or a family going on a a journey and needing things to last in order to even be able to travel uh, and move around they would also use salt to preserve or to treat uh, wineskins and so it had extraordinary value as a preservative it had extraordinary value to fight against uh, decay Uh, certainly it was flavorful um but it was not as common as it is today. It was not as, uh, it, was, it was a high dollar item. Uh, one of the ways that we know this is uh, the word salary that we use today comes from the Latin word salarium. And salarium is a reference to the amount that a Roman soldier was paid way back, uh, even in the first century, as their compensation was related to how much salt that it could buy. Uh, and, and so it was equated with wages such that the phrase comes, he's not, she's not worth his, her salt, is to say that they're not worth what they've earned. They're not worth their wages. And, and so we, we see and, and we read about salt being uh, essential, not non-essential, valuable, not, not common or cheap. And it, this is the metaphor that Jesus chooses to use to describe his people Uh, in the world. And so uh, think for a minute about something in culture that just royally causes your blood to boil. When this sort of story comes on the news, instantly you're mad. You've never or would never hear on Sunday confess that you've thrown your remote, but this might cause you to throw your remote if you're watching uh, on your television or maybe something that you will read about in the news and every time it happens or every time this sort of story surfaces you maybe ask the person next to you what that thing is for you they probably will have five of them um but hold that in your mind for a second because part of it is is 
there's just an enormous amount of evidence that we see decay happening all around us, spiritual decay happening all around us as the enemy has great power in this world. And, and so for many of us, these things cause our blood to boil. Someone should do something about that. Why is it that way? And I want to tell you, God has a plan for those things. God has a plan for the decay that we see in society, the spiritual decay we see in our world. His plan is that his people would be salt, would be a preservative for good, a preservative for righteousness in those places, that his people would be an antiseptic that would fight against the germs and the bacteria that cause spiritual, relational, emotional, moral decay in the culture. We are his plan A to preserve his good work and to fight against the decay in our society. So we preserve righteousness. We preserve his good work when we fight against injustice. We preserve his good work when we advocate for those who don't have a voice or for those who are weak or oppressed or marginalized in our culture. Uh, We fight against decay when we oppose things that are bad for society, that are bad for culture. It's Veterans Day. Many of our veterans have fought against decay by protecting us from evil, by defending people, in some cases, who were defenseless. And so one of the things this salt idea does is it kind of blows up the myth that God's work primarily or exclusively happens in church buildings on Sunday morning. And we understand that we are called to be salt to the world, which means where we go, that saltiness goes because it's Jesus in us. And it causes every relationship, every place that we find ourselves, every job that we have, every neighborhood that we live in becomes an incredibly holy place because we understand that we're sent there. And it's not just an extra stop on the way home from work. It's not just an extra stop because you forgot something at the store. Uh, We have this great sense that we're sent into the world. And so next time your blood is boiling and you're frustrated, would you consider that God has a part for you to play as a preservative? God has a part for you to play as something that fights against the, the decay that we see in society. Part of what it means to be salt. Now, Matthew talks about salt losing its saltiness and that's a little bit of a strange thing for us to hear because we have refined salt it doesn't really lose its saltiness we use it and then it goes away but it doesn't really lose its saltiness and so uh, imagine that you're living in the first century and maybe you got your salt from a market which was uh, which got its salt by gathering it from the dead sea and so you have the salt mineral but it's also mixed with a bunch of other minerals from the dead sea Uh, And and imagine water comes into contact with that substance and dissolves the salt. All you have now left is is dirt. And so what uh, Jesus is saying here in Matthew uh, is that if the salt doesn't have any of the saltiness, it is useless for its purpose, and it's not really uh, salt. And so the comparison then is for those of us who claim to follow Jesus, if our lives don't look like his, if there's no evidence... Uh, that uh, we're accomplishing our purpose, if there's no evidence of Jesus in our lives, are we like that dissolved substance that is just dirt and, and good for nothing? And, and so it's a, it's a interesting metaphor, a, a sobering uh, metaphor to cause us to take an, an internal audit of to what degree are we uh, preserving God's righteousness, preserving his good work 
uh, and protecting against decay in the world uh, around us. So Jesus starts with salt, and then he moves to light. Let's read 14, 15, and 16 uh, one more time from chapter 5. Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 14, uh, using a very similar phrase, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill, he says, cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, uh, one of the things that I, th- I think is, is probably fair for, um, for some of us is we don't look at culture necessarily and say, I know what culture needs, me. Uh, many of us feel like we don't have much to offer culture. Many of us feel like we don't have much to bring to the table that might be useful in advancing God's kingdom and accomplishing his good or pushing back uh, darkness, pushing back evil. Uh, and so I just want to pause and remind us quickly some of what we have if we are in christ and and so first would be we are aligned with the winning team we're on the right side of history there's a lot of interesting conversations happening right now around our country of who is on the right side of history for a whole bunch of issues over the last couple hundred years god's people are on the right side of history god's people are aligned on the winning team Uh, in matthew 18 jesus talking to peter says You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. In other words, God's work is going forward and will be accomplished, and there is no world ruler or cultural movement that is going to thwart, undermine, or cause his plan to fail. Uh, Revelation 20, if you want to read verses 9 and 10, the famous last battle, what's going to happen when Jesus returns after the thousand year reign and it says satan and all those with him march on god's people and you think all right this is the thing that we make great movies about this amazing battle it'll it'll be huge it'll be back and it'll be forth and back and forth and god will finally triumph and it's revelation 9 or it's revelation 20 9 and 10 it is very very quick and it just says that satan and everyone with him are thrown into hell into eternal torment so we know how the story ends Why does that matter? Who but God's people authentically, genuinely have a abiding hope for tomorrow? If you don't have God, how how, how do you have an abiding, enduring hope for tomorrow? So who in your workplace, who in your sphere of influence, friend group in your neighborhood might need hope for tomorrow? We're surrounded by people who are in their family situations, dealing with things because of past choices they've made, dealing with difficult things related to their health, don't we? Lots and lots and lots and lots of people around us desperate to have some sort of hope for tomorrow. Not just hope for tomorrow, how about strength for today? In in Romans 5, we read a little bit about this position that we have in Christ, that we have been made, uh, that peace with God has been made for us. And so it starts really great in Romans 5.1. And then all of two verses later, it says, not just peace with God, but we have hope in our difficulty, hope in our suffering. Um, Romans 5.5, 5, why do we have hope in our suffering? How is this uh, brought about? Who ensures that this work is done? Verse 5 of Romans, 
uh, 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been sent to you. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. So you have strength for today. There are a hundred applications or more of the value of having strength for today. But suffice to say for now, as we're talking about salt and light, that we go into the world with hope for tomorrow. We go into the world with strength for today. Who in your workplace, who in your friend group needs strength for today? Needs to know that they may have woken up this morning defeated, but they don't need to go to bed tonight in the same way that they woke up. Some of you maybe have walked in here even this morning incredibly defeated, and you need to know from God's word you don't have to leave that way. Hope for tomorrow, strength for today. We have a roadmap for life. We've just started the Sermon on the Mount, beginning of Matthew 5, getting into the life, into the teachings of Jesus. A roadmap for life that transcends our jobs, that transcends our family situations, that transcends our relationships, that transcends our age groups. It's relevant to the kids who just went out to the door. It's relevant to EJ, who's 20-something. It's relevant to some of us who are no longer 20-somethings. It's relevant to all of us, regardless of age, season, gifting, background, capacity. We have a roadmap for life. Who in culture needs a roadmap for life? Who do you come into contact with each day that needs a roadmap for life? Who is struggling, wrestling, agonizing, sprinting, falling, sprinting, falling, sprinting, falling without a roadmap for life. We've got to see ourselves and understand that what God has done for us, making peace with God for us through Jesus, giving us his spirit, makes us really salty, makes us a light that shines brightly in a world that does not have hope for tomorrow, strength for today, or a roadmap uh, for life. Let's talk about light just a few minutes here. Uh, with our last, with our last few minutes, uh, what are some things light does? Uh, well, the, one of the obvious ones is it illuminates, uh, makes things that might be stumbling blocks or uh, traps or things that are bad for us. It makes them clear. Some of you went on the trip to Guatemala uh, two years ago, and by the way, the next trip to Guatemala is in February. And if you're interested, write Guatemala on your communication card. We'd love to have many of you be a part of that. I think there's 10, 11, 12 spots full, but there's probably room for three or four more to go to Guatemala. Uh, one of uh, the members on that trip, he's not in here. I won't say his name. It's embarrassing. Um, he stepped into a huge pile of fire ants in the middle of the night. Now, he didn't step into those fire, pile of fire ants because he's clumsy. He's not clumsy. He didn't step into that pile of fire ants because he's careless. He's not careless. He got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom, and he couldn't see. It was dark. There wasn't sufficient light, and so he stepped into something that could have easily been avoided had there been sufficient light when he was on his way to the restroom. The light uh, illuminates uh, our path. The light illuminates what is in front of us that could easily uh, be avoided if we knew it was there. Being the light of the world has an illuminating aspect in culture has an illuminating aspect to help others avoid what is in front of them that could cause great uh, pain and suffering. Being the light in the world in part uh, means we have an illuminating 
uh, ministry. What else does light do? It, it causes things to grow. I'm not going to try to explain uh, photosynthesis and chlorophyll because some of you are teachers and, and you're just going to find all the things that I explain wrong about it. Suffice to say, plants are able to somehow gather the raw materials to make energy so that they can grow with light being an essential element for growth. Light makes things grow. We are the light of the world. It is fair to say that Jesus' light in us should cause things to grow, to spiritually grow around us. Uh, One of the things that uh, I ran into reading through this text this week um, is just sense that I don't always feel like a light that is shining bright. I don't always feel like salt that is just so salty that everywhere I go, well, salt makes you thirsty, I don't feel like everywhere I go, people are just thirsting for Jesus because they're around me. And so maybe some of you can relate that sometimes there's seasons of life where you feel like a flashlight that's got only one working battery out of like eight that are supposed to work. And so it's dimly lit or it's flickering uh, at best. And so that's, that's where some of us are at today. That's where some of us have been. And there's a conversation that was happening this week at a, at a pastoral pastor's gathering thing. And, and the conversation uh, turned to uh, what, what is this thing that happens when the Lord kind of reaches out and touches our hearts, when, when heaven uh, touches our hearts. And it usually it manifests itself uh, by way of some sort of uh, public failure where we, where we blow it. And so maybe for you, uh, you lost your temper this week and you just yelled or said something to your kids that was awful that again you're probably not going to repeat here on sunday morning but you know what i'm talking about um or you, maybe you blew up at a co-worker said something to just a stranger in a car passing you on the left or on the right um and as even as the words were coming out you're thinking i can't believe i just said that i can't believe i just did that and you, you felt the full weight of guilt of what you had just done with something that you said you would never do or something maybe that you did not too long ago that you said would never happen again. And and so it's not uncommon as the Lord uh, tends to us that one of the ways he gets our attention is through uh, failings and convicting our hearts of that sin. And for many of us, one of the first things we do is we go from conviction uh, to some sort of commitment. I blew it with my mouth. So I will commit to not doing that again, and I will take these steps to ensure it never happens. I can do this. I'll fix it. I've got this. And we move straight to some sort of commitment to carry on. And and so as we were talking about this, uh, where we spent most of our time discussing is that it seems like to go from conviction to commitment is to inadvertently cut Jesus out of the transformation process whereby we're convicted of sin. And what, what would happen if we went from conviction to some sort of confession where rather than minimizing our sin and saying it was just an accident, it will never happen again, I can do this, I can fix it, disregard the fact that I haven't for decades, uh, but I will this time. What if we went from conviction to confession and and owned what was ugly and said, God, you know even what was behind that ugly thing I did or said. You know where it comes from. You know that it maybe is something I've been harboring or resentment that has been 
present for maybe a very long time, and we met the Lord there, and he did the work to where in our low points, his mercy, his grace, his love washed over us, and that then moved us forward into this place of of commissioning or, or consecration. We're out of the overflow of his love for us, a renewed passion, a renewed desire, a renewed calling, and a renewed confidence uh, overflow that then led to some sort of commitment. And the only way I can think of to describe what we do versus what I think God wants us to do uh, is to use the show Fixer Upper. How many of you have seen Flipper Flop or Fixer Upper or one of the 800 other Fixer Upper shows? Um, so most of you know that when they buy these houses, it's often sight unseen, and so they're going in and not sure what they're going to find. And many projects have a snag or two, and they navigate that snag, and then they sell the house. And if you believe the show, they just make a fortune every single time. Um, One of the things that seems to be a, a problem is when they open up a wall and they find black mold. Have you ever seen them open up a wall, find black mold, and paint over it? Has anyone ever seen that happen in a show? Has anyone ever seen them do anything other than look up at the sky and go, why, God, why? And the whole project comes to a screeching halt, and they have to come in, and it's special equipment, and it takes a ton of time, but they have to get the black mold out before they can keep going. And and so the comparison uh, for this morning is, is that when the Lord convicts us of our sin, shows us that black mold, and then we just try to paint over the top of it, uh, we're in line to get in a lot of trouble. (laughs) When we minimize our sin, we minimize our availability to his transforming work. And if maybe we could pause when he shows us our sin and come to this place of confession where we meet the Lord, where he removes that black mold and makes us new his mercies are new every morning doesn't it seem more likely that we might go forward in joy go forward in the power of his spirit go forward in the overflow of what he's done for us that we now desire to do and to be uh, for one another rather than what seems more often the case i blew it i'll fix it which generally produces people who are increasingly guilty, who are increasingly trying hard to cover up that guilt. Um, If you're here this morning and you know you should be salty, but you don't feel like you're all all that salty, you know you should be a shining bright light, but you don't feel like a shining bright light, Um, I might ask, are, are you regularly doing business with the Lord? Are you regularly coming into his presence Uh, recognizing your shortcomings, confessing your sin, allowing him to do the work and allowing him to send you back out because you you might be in a spot where you're kind of trying to do life uh, on your own. And that makes us very, very dull lights, like like that salt that gets dissolved in the water uh, and there's just really not much salt left there. It's useless for its purpose. Uh, As Matthew finishes this section of recording what Jesus says about salt and light, He says that, uh, Matthew 5, 16, he says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so just a question as we uh, wrap up this morning. um, Do people see your life and give glory to your Father in heaven? Or do they see your life and think, wow, 
you are so talented. Wow, that was an incredible thing that you did. Wow, that was a really sacrificial gift that you offered. That was a really extraordinary way you gave your time to this person or to this family. And maybe even as a follow-up question to that, is your desire when you make a sacrificial gift, when you give of your time to have people say, nice job, that was great, way to go. And, and by the way, you'll, you'll know that that's you pretty quick because you'll do something and then you'll look around and you'll go, wait, wait, nobody noticed what I just did. This is not right. You, you should have noticed that act of service. You should have noticed that, that, that thing that I did. You should have noticed that as part of this success, I am integral to it, and no one seems to have noticed, and that will bother you tremendously. It'll make your skin crawl, um, speaking from uh, hypothetical, not from experience. Um, how, how do we know if we're accomplishing our mission? Are, are people around us? seeing the light of Jesus in us and glorifying our Father who is in heaven. If salt makes you thirsty, are people around us becoming thirstier for the kingdom of God, becoming thirsty for spiritual things? Um, so as we, as we wrap up this morning and as the worship team comes to lead us in a, in a closing song and we receive uh, this morning's offering, um, Maybe life has gotten cloudy for you, circumstances difficult, uh, relationships tense, uh, and, and all these things have distracted you uh, from your purpose. I hope that you hear this morning from Jesus in the book of Matthew that we, the followers of Christ, are salt and light, and we have what is needed in culture, not because of anything about us, but because of what Jesus has done for us through the cross and through the resurrection and the spirit uh, that is in us. And if you're here and you'd say, you know what, uh, I'm not a flickering light. I'm not a dimly light, lit light. There is no light whatsoever. I'm not salt that used to be salty or that is dissolved. Uh, I, I, no salt here whatsoever. I am that dirt substance. I am, as Matthew says, uh, useless. That dirt was just useful for trampling underfoot, useful for making a path, not useful for anything that salt is supposed to do. If that's you this morning and that resonates with you, I would say, again, you don't have to leave this morning like you came in. We'd love to share with you from God's word what it means to pass from death to life, what it means to say yes to following uh, Jesus. Um, I loved the Beatitudes last week because you have all these things that um, we're learning as we go with Jesus to desire. We're learning. Our values are reshaped as we follow him and he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And uh, probably many of you know, as you read those and even listened to, to Grant last week, how, how, how do you be a peacemaker? How do you be all these things that we f feel like we're not? Well, we need to know the one who has made peace for us if we're going to be a peacemaker uh, for others. If you're struggling with salt and light, uh, do you know the one who is first, as John 8 says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Do you know the light of the world? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your perfectly preserved word. Thank you for your uh, persistent pursuit of, of each of us, such that the circumstances and the relationships that we even find ourselves in now are useful for your purposes, Lord, that we are positioned to uh, preserve your good work, that we are positioned uh, 
by your Spirit's power to be uh, antiseptic, to protect against, to fight against the germs and bacteria that cause decay. So help us to have this great sense for your calling on our lives. Lord, that things in our past would not get in the way of our calling. Lord, that relationships that are tense would not get in the way of our calling. That pettiness that we have in our lives or in our homes would not get in the way of our calling. Lord, that offenses that others have committed against us or that we have committed to others would not get in the way of our calling. Lord, help us to have this great sense that our calling is just too big to uh, be hindered by so many of the things that preoccupy our minds. Lord, we pray for your spirit just to remind us daily that we are salt and light by your power, through your son, Lord, through the gift of your spirit. Lord, for those that feel defeated this morning, remind us who we are. Lord, Jesus says we are the salt. We are the light. Not a future version of us. We are. Uh, Lord, may we be who you've made us to be. In Douglas County, North Africa, public schools, home school, private school, wherever we find ourselves. Uh, Lord, may we be salt and may we be light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.